0: This is the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the Blood Red Podcast here from the Liverpool Echo as we delve into some classic Liverpool matches from through the years. They won't all be nostalgic from yesteryear and a long time ago. In fact, to kick us off with a game from the not-too-distant past, we're heading back just two years to 2018, Champions League night at Anfield as Liverpool welcomed Man City in the uh, Champions League, a run that would see the Reds reach the final in Kiev before, of course, succumbing to Real Madrid alongside me, Matt Addison and Paul Philbin to go through the game. Guys, how are you? Very good. Thanks, mate. Not too bad, mate. Yourself? Yeah, not so bad. And really looking forward to getting our teeth stuck in to this one. Philbo, we'll, we'll start with you, mate. Just the general sort of feel of the game. You were obviously at the match, so were you, Matt, as well, but Paul, just sort of the atmosphere before the game. Obviously, Porto had been dispatched in the previous round and this was really quarter-final stage where things were getting real for the Reds, I suppose. Yeah, well, I'm going
1: to go even before the match. I can remember being in the, uh, the old office the day the draw was on and I was absolutely delighted when we drew Man City. I don't know why, because... The season that they were having domestically was unbelievable, but over two legs, I just fancied them. Like Obviously, there were other sides in the draw at that time, like, like if Roma, where you're looking at going, you fancy doing them over two legs. But Man City, I don't know why I had this feeling that if we played them over two legs in Europe, that we'd go and batter them, and that's exactly what we did. And in the build-up, like the day of the game, it just felt, it just felt big. I know we had that... Um, you know, the league run under Klopp in 2016, and there were big nights, but this felt like the first huge night under Jurgen, yeah, huge European night under, under Jurgen Klopp, because it was a Champions League night, not stages, the runaway leaders in the Premier League. It just felt great, but there was no doubt in my mind that night that we were going to beat them. It was basically Man City and nobody's in Europe. You're coming to Anfield on the European nights. You've got absolutely no chance. And from minute one, that's how it worked out.
0: Yeah, interesting you sort of say that because even looking back and thinking about it, ever since Jurgen Klopp arrived at Liverpool, remember one of those early games away at the Etihad, obviously he played Tottenham and and Chelsea early on in his reign away from home. But that game at the Etihad, Matt, the 4-1 win was sort of like the real moment that everyone went okay understand the hype now around Jurgen Klopp and just what sort of Paul's saying there in terms of this game drawing Man City over two legs I suppose even if this was the year that they were to be centurions in the Premier League weirdly there was nothing to fear.
2: No I mean exactly as, as Philbo says I think a lot of Liverpool fans were in the same boat going into that game thinking that you know Liverpool had a really excellent chance and, and obviously Liverpool had it ended Manchester City's unbeaten run at Anfield a couple of months previous with that amazing 4-3 game at Anfield. So I mean, there, there was plenty of, of reasons to be optimistic, and I don't think anyone quite foresaw the, the first sort of 30 minutes that that, that was, you know, that, that took place at Anfield. But I think you know rightly Liverpool see themselves as as one of the, the big historic European clubs, and, and Manchester City are, are very much new to that table. So I think. There was a almost a little bit of of pressure in terms of you know Liverpool are, are a team that prides themselves on on European pedigree and it was a very much a case of making sure that 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 continued and Liverpool progressed and and kept one of those teams which certainly you know under Pep Guardiola their their main target is to become a team like Liverpool in Europe you know to to try and match those sorts of teams but you know it's not just them it's people like uh, PSG as well and and sides like that but you know for Liverpool this was a a case of preserving their European pedigree and and certainly the way the the tie panned out after that was certainly the case.
0: And it was a weird time for Liverpool sort of in terms of the setup of the side coming in to to take on Man City because of course Matt mentions there the the 4-3 over City in the league in the the middle of uh, January Paul but during that time, obviously, he, he hadn't played and his move to Barcelona was certainly happening, but Felipe Coutinho, that first half of the season, had been such an integral part. I mean, we, we still talk about him now. We're talking about him right now here on, on this podcast, but he'd been such a key member of that side, he'd now left. It was Liverpool beginning to find themselves without Coutinho and this obviously being one of those first real tests because they'd been down the road to Old Trafford not too long before in the league and that was obviously actually one of the, the final defeats of the, uh, the league campaign for Liverpool this season, but it was a differing and changing side that Jürgen Klopp had to choose from.
1: It was definitely different. And what you've got to remember as well, like the 4-3 in the league, Van Dijk didn't play that day, but he came because he had a slight knock, I think. So it was the first time Van Dijk was playing for Liverpool against Manchester City and it just felt different. We Losing Coutinho was a blow in the sense of he was the star player before he, had, he left. But we became more solid once he'd left. It was a different Liverpool. We could still blow teams away, but there was more organisation. With Coutinho, sometimes I felt reckless. And I can remember Van Dijk's performance that night. It's just been incredible as well. So it was the start of seeing this side we've currently got now developing was probably the first night of all oh, this is what it could really be like
0: yeah i was watching the highlights back actually yesterday sort of the extended ones as much of the game i could find various different little clips and bits and pieces of, across the internet man you really did get that feel actually that the attack was different the, the sort of focus of it was this was obviously salah's first season in in english football and he had such a great campaign and in fact, he got the opener in this game, but it wasn't sort of that typical goal that you actually picture from his first season, breaking in behind or jinking in from the left-hand side and scoring. It was Firmino had done so much of the work and continued to just be a pest in the six-yard box and forced Kyle Walker into an error. But the attack throughout the game really was coming from both Alexander-Arnold and Andy Robertson that we're so used to now seeing.
2: Yeah, as you say, and, and, and as Philbo has outlined, obviously, Felipe Coutinho had not long departed and, and it was probably one of those games which, which defined the way that Liverpool went on to play because, as you say, the two full-backs were, were instrumental. Of course, a different option in the centre of midfield with Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain and, and the huge role that he played on that particular day. And and Roberto Firmino as well, like you say, pressuring, I think, Otamendi it was, into a, a mistake or Kyle Walker. I can't remember which of the two, but, you know, th- obviously that had... That had been something that we'd seen so many times before the the Firmino thing, but certainly the other elements of, of Liverpool's game. You're right to point out that it did feel a little bit different and it did feel a little bit less gung ho. It's, it's a bit more similar to the Liverpool team that, that we see today and, you know, possibly sort of halfway between the, the reckless and, and now the controlled that we've sort of had this journey under Jurgen Klopp where. You know, even in that second half, Manchester City, I think, over well, over the course of the ninety minutes, had about two thirds of the possession, but they didn't have a shot on target in the game, I don't think. And you know, they they came close to to doing so on one or two occasions, but it was just that controlled nature that we probably hadn't seen, even in that four three. Of course, the, the fact that it was a four three and Liverpool conceded three goals, you know, that that wasn't a controlled game. It it wasn't a dominant performance, but. You know, with Van Dyke in the side, with that slightly different tactical setup, this was one of those occasions where you could really see what what Jurgen Klopp was thinking when he got rid of Coutinho, or or rather, Coutinho forced himself out, and and they used that opportunity to to mould this team into a rounded rounded eleven that we've got today.
0: Yeah, definitely on that point. In terms of Liverpool, I suppose now breaking out into what they would become and. I suppose we were all so excited about when Jurgen Klopp first came into English football and when he was first in charge of Liverpool, that reckless nature, as you say, Matt, and just sort of the, the real balmy football, the high-octane rock-and-roll football that Jurgen Klopp brought with him from Borussia <coughs> Dortmund, and then this being sort of the time in which that began to change. And Man City, of course, decided would just pass teams completely to death. But that opening half an hour... Phil, but I know obviously a few years before under Brendan Rodgers, when Liverpool were quite high octane, they they'd had that twenty minute spell against Arsenal in the Premier League. But this on a Champions League night in the quarter final, Man City were like rabbits in the headlights, weren't they?
1: It was, and it was it was even before that. Like once you got in the ground, like what people were in the ground forty minutes before, and you could just tell the the fans were up for it, and Man City would never have experienced. Something like that, the players and also the fan base, and they just completely froze on the night. Then once the first goal went in, it was just like you just got absolutely no chance here, and it it was as if the the team, the eleven who were on the uh, the pitch that night, just roll, were riding off the momentum of the fans, and it was <laughs> we had forty odd thousand extra players on the pitch that night.
0: Yeah, there are obviously the empty had jibes and everything towards Man City, but they've done all they can to sort of catch up on the pitch and spend all the money they have on the players. But is that one element that they obviously can never buy, they never will buy, and actually something they have to build up their own history before they can sort of be looked at on a level par to Liverpool in terms of that certainly that European history? Because as you say, Anfield on a night like that is just absolutely bouncing. It's yeah. a mentality thing.
2: Definitely, it comes to mentality, and as you say, it's not something that you can buy. We've seen it with so many of these teams that you know they they come to to Anfield and there's a sort of inferiority complex, if you like. And I think you know it's not something that you can buy with particular players. I think it's just as a group, these teams have got to find a way to get over that. And I'm sure, look, it's it's inevitable that Manchester City will win the Champions League at some point in the future because, you know, they are a fantastic team. It might even be this season once we eventually get that resumed. But, you know, on nights like this it, it does underline just how important Anfield is. And, you know, as Philbo said, it was it was absolutely a hostile atmosphere and, and on the on the night they just couldn't cope.
0: Yeah, and Philbo, on the rivalry itself, obviously, Liverpool had, had games in, in the not-too-distant past before this. Think to that 13-14 season, the 3-2 win. Obviously, earlier this season, the 4-3 win at Anfield. But they were obviously quite sort of end-to-end games and everything. A 3-0, I think it's probably fair to say, battering of Man City, certainly that first half an hour. And as you say, even before the game, I suppose must have really been a moment to Man City fans of stark realisation that actually Liverpool aren't going away.
1: Yeah, um, well, people forget they battered us five nil at Etihad earlier that season, and then we went and beat them three times in a row. Like, but that was the first moment I think City fans, the three nil, would have been the first time City fans went, "Oh, these are here for a few, a good few years here. We're not going to have it our own way." But I actually think the moment that made this. Liverpool-Man City thing a rivalry on, their, on City fans' behalf is Salah's goal at the Etihad. Because even at 1-0 at the Etihad, they believed that they would still go through. They believed he could score a second, third and fourteenth. But as soon as Salah scored that, it killed the, the side completely. And then that I think that is the moment when the rivalry really started to heat up. I think the 3-0 was the start of it. But then the second leg was the moment where it became a real rivalry.
0: The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. In terms of the man who set up the second goal, Alex Oxlade Chamberlain, I don't know if if you guys sort of think this was probably his finest moment so far in a Liverpool shirt, and obviously he's still getting back to his, his best form, although he has been a real key player this season. But the assist goes to James Milner. It's not just a pass, it's a tackle and a pass in one move. Former Man City, Liverpool pick him up on a free transfer. I just wonder your guys' thoughts on how much you think that might even get under sort of, City fans' skins and just it shows the magnitude of having a player like that to put him in for a game like this, Matt.
2: Yeah, I mean, James Milner was, was absolutely instrumental. It was one of the, the sort of little moments of, of that game that, that I'd actually forgotten until I went back and, and watched the highlights of, as you did yesterday. and You, know, you, do, you do kind of forget that Gino Alden was on the bench for that game and, and James Milner was selected ahead of him and, of course, you know we've seen it so many times with various football fans. Whether that's Liverpool, with whether it's Manchester City, whether, whether it's you know whatever, you know you you never want to come up against a player who used to to play for your team and and then they've moved somewhere else and they come back and hurt you. Well, there's no doubt about it that when James Milner left Manchester City. Manchester City were, were, you know, above and beyond whatever, you know, whatever dreams Liverpool had. You know, he was he was coming to a, a lesser footballing team at that moment in time. I don't think there's any Liverpool fan who can can realistically deny that. But you know, the the, the progress that they've made since, you know, Liverpool are, are now better than Manchester City. They've overtaken that. And you know, you know, in, in regards to your question, will that have hurt Manchester City fans? Yes, it will. I think, to be honest, it it will hurt them more now that they see him you know, in a team that is on the verge of winning a Premier League title more than, than on that particular occasion because, you know, the, the more time has gone on, the better Liverpool has become. There's still no doubt about it for me that, that James Milner is a vital part of this team at the moment.
0: Yeah, and no, I was just going to say, because like on Milner, obviously, when he first sort of came to Liverpool, it was all, all about sort of getting that chance in central midfield. He, he played the year before as a makeshift left-back for large parts of the season. But in that midfield three-peaked ahead of Wijnaldum as well it's like you just sort of thinking that City always overlooked what qualities he could bring to that midfield and along with Henderson and Oxlade-Chamberlain really that night just completely bossed what was then a functional midfield which I suppose is the best way to go up against a Man City midfield that just want to dominate so much of the ball that when you can step in and make a tackle even if it be sort of 25 yards from the opposition's goal like Milner was that as soon as you get the ball you make sure you do something with it.
1: Definitely, and to be fair, with James Milner, I, I think throughout his career, he's always been massively underrated wherever he's been. and I've, I've before he signed for Liverpool, I went convinced he was as good as he actually is. Actually, the first time I realised how good he was was when he came on in um, the three two in twenty fourteen. He came on on the right, and he gave uh, gave John Flanagan an awful. Forty-five minutes. He had a uh, real tough afternoon, but yeah, Milner. You need players like that. Like even though he hasn't got the European experience of a Stephen Gerrard, say he in that the side that was around in 2018, he was the most experienced in Europe after that, and you just need that know-how of getting through certain ties and that was one of them where you just go yeah James Milner you you've got to play and it's like right now well not right now because of the situation we're in but once football returns the final two games that Liverpool need to win I would play James Milner because he's been there and done
0: it yeah he's a a great challenge you obviously say like he, he is a guy who's been around the course he knows the distance and everything like that certainly for the big games but back on to to the game so Salah's made it 1-0 Oxlade-Chamberlain making it 2 and Sadio Mane gets what would be the final goal of this game just past the half hour mark 31st minute of the game and it's a Mane header from a Salah cross from the right wing something now Matt we've become so accustomed to actually seeing Sadio Mane getting up in the box and nodding the ball in.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a massively underrated part of his game. To be honest, his heading ability—you know, for someone who's who's not particularly big or, or tall or strong or anything like that—he's he's scored a fair few headers in his time with Liverpool. And yeah, for for him to be jumping, I, th- I think he was jumping alongside Vincent Kompany from from memory, uh, which you know, to beat him in the air is is no mean feat. And you know, uh, there's been plenty of times where Mohamed Salah has been accused of. Of maybe being selfish by by Liverpool fans or or by opposition fans as well, and, and certainly on that occasion was one where you you couldn't say anything like that in that game. I think obviously he gets his goal, but to get that assist as well, it was a perfectly placed cross, and, and it gave Edison no chance. He couldn't come out and, and punch it or clear it, and, and Marnie headed it in. You know the the atmosphere at, at that stage was probably uh, in terms of me being inside Anfield, it was you know as good as I felt it to be honest. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's one of them pictures as well. It always sort of sticks in my mind. of Vincent Company once that goal's gone in, walking back to the halfway line, and Liverpool and Anfield absolutely erupting, and Vincent Company just looking round as as if to think like, "What is going on?" And it was a game you mentioned before, Phil, by the five nil at the Etihad. Of course, Sadio Mane gets sent off in this in that game. I suppose this was his moment of retribution.
1: Oh, it was definitely, and I can remember when that third goal went in. Um, the first and second goal, the celebrations were wild. The third, the celebration was mad, but it was like, what's going on here? we have 3 0 up after half an hour. European Cup quarter final against Manchester City. So I think what the face Vincent Company was pulling was the exact same face I was pulling, to be honest. I didn't have a clue what was going on. It was just <laughs> bizarre.
0: I suppose it was also the game in which then cleaning off Man City 3-0. Matt, you're saying that there wasn't a shot on target in the game for, for City and preserving that clean sheet. Walking out the ground, Phil, from what you can remember, and I'm sure it was probably Precious Little, <laughs> uh, was this the night that you then started thinking, actually, we had 2005, we had 2007. It's been a long time out of this competition, certainly the latter stages for the Reds. Is this now going to be the time where actually we can take this competition on?
1: Yeah, it was for me. I think after After we beat city three nil at um Banfield, I booked my flight to Kiev. That's how confident I was.
0: A fair player. I can't blame you. To be fair, for, for that confidence and Matt yourself, obviously being at the game as well. There was, I remember it, it, building up to the the return leg at the Etihad. Everyone was sort of saying, "Oh yeah," but Man City, of course, are going to score. It's just whether Liverpool get a goal themselves and get an away goal. That clean sheet did seem so crucial.
2: Yeah, it was was absolutely massive, and of course, that's partially down to to Van Dijk being in the side and, and James Milner, as we as we've discussed before. But I mean. You know, I, th- I think just to, to sort of underline how far Liverpool have come since then and, and how much of an achievement this was you you only have to look at the, the two benches for the for the ac- occasion. I've mentioned Gini Wijnaldum already but I mean the players that came off the bench for Liverpool on the day Alberto Moreno and Dominic Solanke were two out of those three and then Wijnaldum was the other one. You look at Manchester City's bench, I mean Raheem Sterling started the game on the bench because they had so much so much other talent to fit into this team and you, know, you, you compare the two squads now Liverpool have come a long way since but on that particular occasion, for for Liverpool to to get through in that game, they needed a little bit of luck. They needed to to play as well as they did, and and they needed Anfield behind them as well. And you know everything seemed to go right on the night, and certainly to score three goals. But as you say, just as importantly, to keep that clean sheet because you know had Liverpool conceded on that night, I think you know had the the Gabriel Jesus goal gone in two or three minutes into the second leg with City having had a, an away goal at Anfield as well to carry forward it. It could have been a very, very different outcome in that game.
0: You, good point. You mentioned the, the bench, actually. I was just looking at the team sheet. Is, as You, you so, st- started speaking there. And you mentioned Dom Solanke obviously coming on for Liverpool, uh, Alberto Moreno and Jeannie Vine Alderman. Sterling the only one used by Man City. And he's a guy, Philbo, who must absolutely hate coming back to Anfield.
2: Oh... I-
1: he hasn't played well since he left, has he? And I'm I'm convinced he never will have a good game at Anfield. That'll probably come back to bite me now. But every time he plays at Anfield, he just doesn't turn up. He was probably delighted to be on the bench that night and to come on, not obviously not to come on 3-0 down, but to be brought on rather than be dragged off, if that makes any sense. Because every time he's come to Anfield, he has been dragged off and long may that continue really because Man City are a much better side when he turns up and it just doesn't seem to happen at Anfield.
0: I suppose it goes back to to where we started as we do sort of wrap up here for this classic Batches podcast that Anfield is such a big thing for Liverpool. It's something we can't sort of tire from saying but on this night it was one of those occasions. Sterling only on the field for 33 minutes picks up a booking and Matty just, it, it does just get in his head.
2: Yeah, it does. And, you know, you you almost can't blame him because the whole atmosphere on the the night, even, you know, the the build up to the game, the sort of when the the two buses came in, the the atmosphere that was generated then and and people getting in the ground early and and creating that atmosphere as well. As soon as the game started, of course, everyone's in there and everyone's focused. But it it was just that whole build up. it, It felt like a big occasion right from the start. And, you know, Raheem Sterling coming into... Coming into a, a difficult situation, one that he's struggled with in the past, I'm sure he, he wasn't best pleased with the, the result, but certainly with his performance as well. And it, you know, it's it's just another example of how Liverpool, maybe from a, a neutral's perspective, on that occasion would have been second favourites going into that match. But you know, as soon as you've got the backing of, of 50,000 Liverpool fans behind you, you know anything can happen, and, and anything does happen in the Champions League. And this was uh, another of those famous occasions.
0: And just finally, on the ground, the occasion and the night and everything, Where you said sort of from the top, it felt like under Jurgen Klopp, sort of the first real big European night. And I suppose with that comes the main stand as well. And that now being sort of part of, obviously, Anfield and sort of the, the memories that come with it. Obviously, the 4-0 win over Barcelona last year is probably the greatest night now of all time in, in the European history of the club. But this game and the ground having been reconfigured and everything, I suppose that actually does play quite a big part for Reds fans.
1: It does. And once the, the new Anfield road stand gets um, built, it's going to be even louder. I think, look, I've been to Anfield plenty of times when the atmosphere has not been great. And even at the start of the Klopp's reign, it wasn't great. But something switched. And to say, and it's cliche to say, from doubters to believers, which Klopp came out with in his first interview as the club manager, it's as if that the fans now got involved with that um, saying from Klopp, and it's the whole ground that's getting behind them. It, it Anfield is completely transformed under Jurgen Klopp, and having the extra what, what did he say, extra eight thousand loonies behind him is going to help. It always will. So, look, we've had some great European nights under Jürgen Klopp so far, but there's plenty more to come. Barcelona may not be topped, but there's going to be a lot to go close.
0: Yeah, certainly. And he does love, you you mentioned the 8,000 extra lunatics in the main stand. He does love stoking them up and getting it going as well. Does Jürgen Klopp more than plays his own part? Well, well, Matt and Paul, thanks a lot for your time and great to, to look back on that game with such fond memories.
2: Cheers, mate. Thank you very much, mate. A pleasure.
0: Well, that's that for this episode of Classic Matches here from the Blood Red podcast. Uh, Thanks, as always, wherever you get your audio on demand for your continued listenership through this uncertain time for all of us. Just glad that we can play our part and perhaps be a bit of company and light Liverpool relief for you. Until next time, though, here from Blood Red, it's bye for now.